today, two Ollie instructors talk shop. Think you're in for a boring academic course? <laughs> well, think again. Welcome to Conversations, the voices of Ollie. Ollie is an acronym for the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, located at the Palm Desert campus of California State University, San Bernardino. Meet two of our outstanding instructors and beloved personalities. Cash Baxter is an instructor of fine arts at Ollie, a fine painter in his own right, and a multi-talented former Broadway luminary. Larry Fox is an esteemed economist, founder of a private equity group, and a retired professor of finance at Northwestern University. An artist and a scientist are about to discover they enjoy much in common. Let's listen in on their conversation. Hello, my name is Cash Baxter, and I have been part of the Ollie team since January of 2004. And the first class I taught, because I'm also a painter, and it was a course in, um, in painting the uh, Impressionist way. So I'm very, very proud to be a part of Osher. And uh, I'm Larry Fox. I teach courses that are some combination of economics and policy. I was trained as, uh, as an economist, but fortunately I've forgotten most of that. And all of my courses center on the issue of the inequality of opportunity, the unfair inequality of opportunity, because I'm talking about inequality that's things based on race or gender or national origin or the wealth of the family or the appearance of people or stuff like that. When you bake that down and you, if you try and deal with just inequality, you kind of don't get anywhere. All you can do is redistribute income. But if you think about things like health care and education and immigration and tax policy, and you think about them in, in an integrated way, all of a sudden, solutions, instead of being mystifying and limited, become very rich and, and, and pretty clear. And I love doing it. I've been doing it now for 11 years, I think 20, 27 courses, and it's just the greatest program on earth. I can tell you this. I have never been to one of your classes, and that is something that I intend to do. And yet my wife, she has been to, I think, many of your classes. And so we know each other in the hallway, and you have come to my classes and always have stayed and greeted me afterwards and complimented me on what I was doing. And so stand by, kiddo, because I'm going to do the same with you. <laughs> I, would, I, would look, I would look forward to that. Actually, uh, Cash's classes are, uh, are great. I've gone to classes on, on art, on dance, in, uh, in the films, uh, uh, tap. Uh, they've been fabulous. Mine are fact-based, but they're uh, feeling-based. Uh, you know, there are people who feel... Uh, what do you need to go to college for? You're walking around with a telephone that's got all the facts on earth. <laughs> but facts are, facts are not a way of thinking. They're, they're, they're kind of what you think about when you're not thinking about your feelings. You know, I teach policy. And if you try to establish policy without considering how people feel, for example, one of the really bad things that's been going on in the last... 30 years at an increasing rate is a complete disrespect of work and workers unless they're doing work that requires a college education. 
This is just the dumbest thing in the world. It makes it harder for people to go to work rather than easier. Why would you work at a, min uh, at a minimum wage and at a tough job if you're not going to get any respect out of it uh, at all? It's not just that. I, I, I love art. I, I, I love art of, of, of all kinds. Uh, I think a, a well-rounded person is hard to describe in two words. You know, that, that well-rounded people have got not corners, but rounded parts. I can do it in one word. Overweight. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what you meant. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. no but yeah, you, you know what? I think that one of the reasons I have not come to your classes, even though I've heard glowing reports from so many sides, I think I'm a little bit frightened of it. I think because it's not in an area in which I am comfortable. And instead of being willing to go out there and learn, I've been a little shy, more than a little, and, and intimidated. And that's going to change. So many people pick classes on the basis of the subject matter. Gee, I'm interested in yep. whatever, whatever it is. And, of course, I think it's much smarter to pick classes based on the instructor. Because a good instructor will make almost any class good, yeah, and a bad instructor can't make a boring subject interesting. Interesting, yeah. I think, that, I think that one of the things about this business of attracting people, a lot of it has to do with how well the title of the class is written and prepared for the catalog. Because, uh, you know, you can say, um, I'm going to teach, uh, well, the first film I directed was in the Air Force. The Air Force, right. I was an Air Force officer, and they, they trained me to be a film decorator, decorator film director. I decorated a few films, too, for that matter. Um, and my first film was really a hard sell. It was called, in title, Oxygen, Nitrogen, Dissolution, Quality, Control. Oh, boy. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know yet what that means. But it was during the, the uh, testing of the uh, Mercury missile and the Atlas as, as the, uh, the delivery system. And uh, some of the most exciting work in my films was when the Atlas blew up. And we had uh, blowing up atlases all over the place. I think that if I could say, Osher presents atlases blowing up, I probably could sell it out. Because people would know that I'm crazy anyway, and they would come and think, think it's about musical comedy. Wouldn't they? I think it's it's like it's like a NASCAR race. You don't go to see the cars going around and round. You go to see you go to see them going off the track. You know, you're terrible, and you're right. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's awful. How many films had you directed before you did the Beethoven film that we, that we saw a few months ago? I can't imagine how many films I had done because I was I did documentaries. Uh, which was primarily the reason I was trained, how I was trained to do. Now, when you were 22 and you were doing that, would you say you were self-confident or were you self-questioning? Oh, I had what is called the, the second lieutenant's um, syndrome, and that is there's nothing I couldn't do. Wow. I didn't know better. Someone said to me during the course of my Air Force career, I'm sorry, Lieutenant, and he was a captain, and he said, I'm sorry, Lieutenant, I know you're down here with your crew in Puerto Rico, but I don't have an airplane to fly you over to get the drop site that you need for the parachute. I don't have an airplane. And I said, really? I said, have you seen my orders? And he said, yes. And the attitude was very real. And I said, uh, could I borrow your phone, sir? And he said, Sure, and he kind of shoved it my way and just remained at his desk. And I picked up the phone, I dialed a code, and I went, brrr, 
washing the switch. And here was this lady's voice on the phone. I said, I need to talk to General LeMay. Here's my code. Click, 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 click. And I, by golly, Lieutenant, this is General LeMay. What's the problem? And I said, well, the captain has no airplane. And he said, uh, he does have an airplane. I'll get him on. Put him on the phone. And the, the, the color of this man changed <laughs> completely, right? He was absolutely pale. Well, by reputation, LeMay was not a guy who, who, who brooked very smart people very well. <laughs> forget, 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 forget about not be, doing well with people of, limit, uh, of limited intellect. <laughs> Gosh, I had entirely the opposite experience. I was talking about it in class the other day. Um, when I was an undergraduate, I, uh, I went on an athletic scholarship, and I had gotten injured, and I was in a lesser sport, so you lose your, lose your scholarship uh, in a lesser sport. So I'd gone to the head of the department to thank him for being so nice to me and telling him that I was going to leave school, and he said, no, no, we'll work something out, and he did. And I went to work for the department, and I ended up working on a, a, a huge study of the effect of government retraining in poverty pockets in the United States. And I started off as a grunt, of course. I mean, you know, I couldn't have had a lower job if, if I was watching whales from the bottom from the Mariana Trench. It was, it was, it was something. But I worked, my way, I worked my way up and had some some pretty good position with, with, the, with this study. And the study, from the point of view of everybody who was in it, turned out to be a horror show. The government had done a very good job of structuring this retraining program, very good job of recruiting people, excellent instructors, and for a whole variety of people, of reasons rather, the retraining just was not worth the taxpayers' money. So we had to write this report saying this retraining program is just not worth the taxpayers' money which was the right conclusions, but it was intent, intensely painful to us. Now comes the better part of the story. So my uh, mentor at the University of Wisconsin, where I was an undergraduate, said, uh, you know, you, you, your parents lived near the University of Chicago, and you've told me that you went to a debate with Milton Friedman the other day. You should go down and see Friedman. Talk about graduate school. And I was just exactly the opposite of you. I did not have the second lieutenant's problem. <laughs> I said, sure, I'm going to go down and see the most famous economist in the world right, right, now, right now, and he's going to see me. And he said, no, no, yes, he will. He, he will. I'll, I'll, I'll write to him, and he'll be happy to see you. So uh, I went down there, and this is a little opposite. I didn't have a Curtis LeBay to call. And this is part of the quadrangles at the University of Chicago. So each side is this immense building. I walked around the building twice with my heart rate getting faster and faster, <laughs> my, and my, my breath getting shorter and shorter. I said, i got to do this. I'm going to be late. So I went up there, and I knocked on the door, and he came up, and he threw open the door of his office, the opposite experience of, of Kurt LeMay or or you know, your fellow in the Beethoven film, he's about five feet one inches tall and dome headed like you like you like you and like, like you and me. He couldn't possibly have have been um, uh, have been nicer and it it put my my life on an altogether different a different path, but I was I was I was so scared I I didn't have any saliva in my mouth. I mean I was just I was I was petrified. What a story! Yeah. Whoa. yeah. Well, he was as he was, 
his his wife, Rose Director, who also deserved a Nobel Prize, told me that she had kept count, and I spent 200 nights on his uh, on Milton Friedman's couch because your computer stuff used to come out in the middle of the night, so I had to be on campus in the middle of the night to go to go pick it up and look at it and try and get another turn before morning because I'd usually screwed it up. So I slept on his, uh, on, his on his couch, and I was at the university in graduate school for five years, so that was a, that was a lot of nights that I spent on his couch. He couldn't have been nicer, and he wasn't. He was only intimidating if you were debating with him because he was just the smartest man on earth. Uh, but he was he was sweet. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Too I young. can imagine what that feeling is to meet a, someone that is, is a genuine celebrity and not in show business, but yeah. a, a, a real celebrity. Yeah. And I, I know that when I was introduced to... A person that you've probably heard of named uh, Judy Garland. <laughs> Saw the movie, anyhow. <laughs> Saw the movie. I haven't seen the movie yet. I hear it's quite wonderful. I'm anxious to see it. Um, Liza Minnelli was uh, starring in her first uh, Broadway show. It was called Flora, the Red Menace, yeah. and it was written by the same uh, guys that wrote Cabaret, Candor and Ebb. And uh, Liza knew that I was there. I had met her, but I didn't know her well. But she knew that I was there. And so I, I went backstage after the show, as she had asked. And my wife uh, doesn't like that part of show business. She's not comfortable with show people. And, and they can be strange. They are strange, weird, and wonderful. So, and I was one of myself. So in any case, um, I got to the door, and there was this crowd of people and a little circle that I could see through. And as I looked into the circle, the person looked out just by circumstance, and it was Liza Minnelli. And she waved to me to come on in, come on in. So I reluctantly went to join this little circle. And she said, uh, oh, everybody, this is my very good friend, Cash Baxter. He's a director, and he's here to see me tonight, and how was I? And I said, you were terrific. And she said, thank you. Oh, I know my mother would love to hear that. And she said, this is my mother, Judy Car-. And I said, uh-huh. I, oh. <laughs> I couldn't speak. This was an embarrassing moment, and no General LeMay, and no airplane, and no Air Force film footage to cover it. There you are. But I can imagine yeah, meeting I, somebody on a world stage. Well, I went to uh, Chicago. But we're both conscious that, that we're doing something for a reason, and it's not just... Uh, uh, That's very correct. You know, it's not just f- for personal fun. We're both yeah. leaving a record. And when, uh, a, when a show closes... The actor is always convinced that I'll never work again. Yes. And when a cl- one of our classes closes, there is a void there because that class meant something special for those six weeks or so or however many weeks the class was. It meant something special that only we could generate. Yes. It's a responsibility, isn't it? And I, I love that responsibility. That's why it's so important what this program does, the OLLI program, the Lifelong Learning Institute, to me is as valuable as it is to the students. You know, uh, when, my, when my late wife died, there were three things that kept me going, uh, really. Uh, my kids, the hiking clubs in which I was involved, and the OLLI program. And uh, they were all of tremendous importance. So, uh, 
you know, I will be forever grateful. I, I Just this last week, I commented in class that as people came into the room, I got there early because it was something I had to set up. Uh, I was just grinning like a Cheshire cat because of the, whatever, 90 people who, who walked in. I probably know 80 of them. Mm-hmm. I've probably eaten with 60 of them, you know, and, uh, and, you get that uh, and they're, they're friends. You get that many invitations to go out, do you? <laughs> <laughs> if you're married to my wife, you're very busy socially. There's no, there's, there's no doubt about uh, that's, it. That's I think right. you have the same experience. Uh, yes, <laughs> I do, yeah. yeah. But I understand your point because those are not just students. Those no. are, they, they've become friends. No, no. And you uh, depend on them as they depend on you. Every one of them has, uh, whatever their educational background, they all have a life history. They, 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 they are there because they, be, they want to be there. They haven't paid much, but they have paid yep. to, uh, uh, to be there. It's, how do I say it without being unkind to undergraduates? It's totally different than teaching undergraduates. <laughs> An experience that I've had and not enjoyed. It's true. And very challenging because uh, my people, uh, like yours, I'm sure, will challenge you if they don't understand or if they think you're wrong or, or mistaken. Oh, and, uh, of course, that's what it's supposed to be about. It's a, it's a give and take. And if I make some kind of a dumb statement, I better be able to prove it. And there was a, 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 an incident uh, when I was talking about Bob Fosse. And I was walking down the street one time, ran right square into him, and I said, oh, Bobby, how are you? I said, what are you doing out here in California? And he said, I'm looking for the urinal, and walked right on. And that meant something to me because we would be in rehearsal together in the same rehearsal building, and we had too few uh, uh, toilet facilities for both men and women, and our stage managers would, would time it so we could take alternate breaks and use the urinal, et cetera. And... Bob Fosse never even acknowledged that he knew me except he went right to that. And I told this story and someone in, the, in my audience said, well, how do we know he really said that? <laughs> and this was an arbitrary guy from Brooklyn, for heaven's sake. And I was shocked and I said, because he said it to me. <laughs> yes. And everybody applauded. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm about to make podcast history. We were at the um, theater last week, and at the break, the line in the men's room was longer than the line in the women's room. <laughs> it doesn't say much for the architect. Does it? No, it doesn't say much. For, it doesn't. No, plumbing being what it is, it doesn't say much for the architect. Oh, we're having much too much fun. I wonder, can we get drinks in here? You know what we have? We have tremendous respect for each other. I do for you for sure. And I do for you for sure. Thank you. That's very sweet. Absolutely true. Cash Baxter, Larry Fox. Two vibrant voices of Ollie. And here are others. Our OLLI, our Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, we offer a wide variety of courses and member events and educational travel for people 50 and over who just love to learn. From economics to environmental issues to art, filmmaking. Oh, there's no tests, there's no homework, there's no books. No grades. You can just enjoy learning for the love of it. They're almost as passionate about learning it um, as I am about teaching it. The interaction of the people that you meet is incredible. And a whole other level of socialization. It's not just over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. 
It's over an idea, a subject, a thought. I just love going to school. My head is still in the game and I want it to be. We've got an incredibly fascinating, educated, accomplished student body. There's not a student here who doesn't have a postgraduate education in life. This has been Conversations, the Voices of Ollie. Our thanks to Cal State San Bernardino in Palm Desert, along with the communications study professor Lacey Kendall and all her media students. This podcast is produced for Ollie by Lou Gorfain. And I am Dr. Arlette.